0: Thank <laughs>
1: Welcome to episode 70 of the Man of Green Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to come back briefly from my uh, summer hiatus to talk about a couple of things that have happened between the end of The Adventures of Superman in 1958 and the beginning of the new Adventures of Superman, the filmation cartoon in 1966. It was an interesting time for Superman. I mean, obviously, uh, after the tragic death of George Reeves, the producers were willing to do just about anything to get the Man of Steel on the air because, you know, he wasn't making money for them if uh, he wasn't on the air. So, one of the things that was proposed, and this was really proposed early on. This was filmed... In 1957, and supposed to be aired in 1958 while George Reeves was still alive. This was The Adventures of Super Pup, in which Superman and his cast of characters were replaced by dwarfs in dog costumes. I want you to let that fester in your mind a little bit and uh, realize what I just said. Dwarfs in dog costumes. So that's The Adventures of Super Pup, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And then, in 1961, another attempt to get a television show on the ground with our favorite Kryptonian was another TV pilot. This one, The Adventures of Superboy, starring John Rockwell. And this was based upon the Superboy comics that were appearing at the time. Both shows were done mostly with the same crew that did at The Adventures of Superman. So you're going to see a lot of similarities between both of these properties. Well, maybe a little bit less Superpup, but... Uh, well. We'll get to Super Pop in time. But there are a lot of similarities between the George Reeves series and the unaired Superboy pilot that I'll be talking about in this episode. But before we get to the business of this month's show, I'm so used to saying this week, but it's actually going to just be this month's show because there won't be another episode for another month after this or so, we have some feedback to address from a couple of of items. The first of which is from my old friend, Dave McElvenny. And Dave is writing in on the Man of Screen podcast, episode 62, in which I talked about whatever goes up and the last night. So, we're really talking about the end of season 5 and the beginning of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. For those of you, uh, eagle-eared listeners, you'll know that, uh, I've discussed letters that Dave wrote about episodes far more recent than episode 62, but I really wanted to read as many of, of the letters on the Bob Fisher episodes as I could with Bob here. We'll get Bob back on the show eventually, but, uh... I'm going to run solo for a while here. So, anyway, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. How wonderful that you've made it to Season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. I've been enjoying it, as I'm sure you know. I enjoyed your earlier coverage of the Fleischer shorts and the Kirk Allen serials, too. But the 1950s TV series is definitely my sweet spot. Thanks for this continuing gift to your listeners and for what will come in the future. Whatever goes up, as you mentioned, another one of those Jimmy Olsen come-to-life episodes. And Jack Larson once again owns the character as no one else quite can. I liked your comment at one point when those unknown chemicals mixed together by accident. It's a good thing there wasn't any lightning or else Jimmy might have ended up with super speed like Barry Allen. That would have been worthy of one of those Jimmy Olsen transformation comic book stories. This is one of those episodes that the viewer just has to go along for the fun ride without thinking too deeply. And it really was great fun. Similarly, The Last Knight doesn't bear too close a to scrutiny. But it is fun to see men in armor, sometimes wearing overcoats on top of the armor. What kid, especially the little boys, could resist knights in armor? I see members of the very small only four members, Society for the Preservation of Knighthood and Dragons, as enacting a kind of second childhood. They don't behave entirely like adults with the unusual hobby, so much as big kids with a secret club. There are elements of adult behavior, like the business of bonds, but even that is kind of a childlike cast to it. They remind me a bit of the goofy pirates of the Jolly Roger, acting with kids' understanding of the things they've read in books or seen in movies. I'm looking forward to the coverage of the rest of Season 6 and whatever comes beyond. I'm in this for as far as the ride goes. Thanks again. Live long and prosper. Dave McLevenny. Well, thanks, Dave. I surely appreciate your feedback. And, uh, I really don't have anything to add to Dave Letters. Uh, like he said, those two episodes, whatever goes up and, uh, the last night, don't bear too close to scrutiny. And, uh, you know, Dave, as usual, made some good points. And Dave's letter speaks for, for itself. I really don't have anything to add to that. All right. So we're going to, uh, move right along to our next piece of feedback. This is, uh, from a newer listener, discovered the show after after I joined the uh, Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This is from Kirk Greenfield, and he's writing in, uh, kind of regarding his, his previous letter. He had uh, wondered who replaced Inspector Henderson after the actor died. So, Kirk writes, Hi guys, just heard your response to my email questions. I must have gotten confused when you were speaking of the death of the actor who played Perry White after Season 6. I guess I thought you were talking about the actor who played Inspector Henderson, as I listened during my commute to work, and sometimes it's hard to keep track of which him you're referring to. Thanks for the info on why Lois Lane was switched after Season 1. I find the voices of Jimmy, Lois, and Clark are so well imprinted that I can see them in my mind as I listen, but Perry White and Inspector Henderson are so much less so. Memory is a funny thing. I think I had seen three and one. Now that I hear you cover it, but I don't know how much more of the season I had seen in syndication. As always, it's great to hear the two of you trade comments. You seem so relaxed and enthusiastic about the series. It will be a pity as it comes to a close. Thanks for planning a look at Hollywoodland. I've yet to see it and look forward to your comments on it. Kirk Greenfield and uh, Kirk is the co-host of the Imperious Rex Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader podcast. And the only thing I'm going to really say in response to uh, Kirk's letter is. The mentioning that it'll be a pity as my coverage uh, of The Adventures of Superman comes to a close. You know, it doesn't have to, necessarily. It'll come to a close for me, but... Any of you who have started listening to my show since I've joined the Two True Freaks Network... And if you haven't done so already, you know what? I highly encourage you, if you're interested, of course. I'm not going to force anybody to go back and uh, listen to my uh, to my backlog. Uh, this is episode 70. I joined, officially joined Two True Freaks at episode 63, so there are... Sixty-two episodes and a handful of main screen extras and special episodes to uh, look back on. There's quite a backlog there, so if you're interested, check it out. Uh, check out my comments on the uh, some of the more uh, some of the older material, the older George Reeves episodes and the uh, stuff that came before that, the Fleischer's and the Kirk Allen serials. So now we have one more bit of feedback to get to, and this comes in the form of an iTunes review. This is from Aaron Henley, another member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. And he, Aaron also appeared on Man of Screen Extra number 12 when we talked about Wonder Woman. Aaron is giving me a five-star review. It's titled Stronger Than a Locomotive. Aaron gets right to the point, keeps it short and sweet. And he says, fun show. Mike really knows his stuff and puts together a great show. So I'd like to thank you, Aaron, for your review. And I would like to thank Kirk Greenfield and Dave McElveny for their letters. You can send an email to the show as well. Uh, Email is manofscreen at gmail.com. And, then you know, if you're so inclined, why don't you leave me a review on iTunes? That helps the show's uh, visibility in the iTunes directory. So with that done, I am going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with with the unaired Adventures of Super Pop Pilot.
2: Hang around, folks. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity crisis. Lone wolf and cub. Hergé's Tintin. White tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen Hate
3: Podcast.
4: It's always the Jimmy Olsen Hate Podcast.
2: (laughs) And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra Seven. This Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo. And this of how they spoke at length when I read a comic. Story comes first, and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily, and reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all Short Box Showcase is part of the relatively geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at Relatively Geeky Podcast. Blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Short Box Showcase. And remember, we're not experts, we're just family.
1: (sighs) All right, welcome back, folks. The Adventures of Super Pup. This was unaired but filmed in 1957. It was Planned to be aired in 1958. Writers were Cal Howard and Whitney Ellsworth. and director was Cal Howard. Cast was Billy Curtis as Super Pup and Bark Bent. Ruth Delfino as Pamela Poodle. She is the Lois Lane character. Angelo Rosito as Terry Bite. I don't think uh, I need to elaborate any further on that. Frank Delfino as Sergeant Beagle. Harry Monty as Professor Sheep Dip. And Sadie Delfino as Wolfingham and Montgomery Mouse. Not the same characters. Uh, Wolfingham is Professor Sheepdip's sidekick, and Montgomery Mouse lives in Bark Bent's drawer at the Daily Bugle. All right, and now for our synopsis, brought to you by Superman. Brought to you by supermanhomepage.com.
2: Your product, the best of its kind in the world, presents the adventures of Super Pop, Faster than the speediest
5: jet. More powerful than the mightiest rocket. Able to fly around the world faster than you can say, Superbuff.
4: Yep, that's Superbuff. And only you and I know that Superbuff is really Bark Bent, star reporter for the Daily Bugle. Wow!
1: Bark Bent has arrived in his office to find an irritated Montgomery mouse asking him to answer the intercom. Daily Bugle editor Terry Bite wants to see Bent in his office. The chief congratulates him and Pamela Poodle for helping Sergeant Beagle and the police put Professor Sheepdip in prison. Why don't you answer when I call you?
4: Well, I was just uh, uh... Never mind about that.
6: You panic too easily. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you what a fine job I think you and Pamela did in helping the police put Professor Sheepdip in jail.
4: We could never have done it without the help of Superpup. Oh, it was nothing. Why are you taking the bow? It's you think you know Superpup? Uh, uh me? Well anyway, it'll be a long time before Professor Sheepnip gets out of jail. You're so
1: right, you're so right. Meanwhile, the mad scientist who is subject of the conversation in the Daily Bugle offices is escaping from prison. He is sawing the bars of his cell door while Sergeant Beagle is cutting out paper dolls. Sheepdip's inept henchman, Wolfingham, is trying to find the correct key to unlock the main jail door in order to assist his boss in his getaway. He succeeds after several failures. Sergeant Beagle is unable to stop them, for he has scoured the entire jail for Sheepdip before eventually shooting and missing the evil inventor's car. After beating his police car with his nightstick to get it started, because obviously that works, Sergeant Beagle is in hot pursuit of Professor Sheepdip and Wolfingham. The pair of criminals dupe him by changing a sign pointing to the city to, They went that way, in the opposite direction. Sergeant Beagle is discussing Professor Sheepdip with Terry Bite, Pamela Poodle, and Bark Bent.
6: I can't understand it. I was hot on their trail, and all of a sudden, they just vanished. With Professor Sheepdip on the loose again, he'll certainly be looking for revenge. What do you expect me to do about it? I did the very best
4: I could. Well, what can we do? Easiest thing in the world. We'll simply recapture him and throw him back in jail. Oh, as easy as all that. You must think you're a super pup. Who? Me?
3: I certainly wish Superpup would help us again. Don't count on that. But I'd give a
6: pretty penny to know what Professor Sheepdip is up to right this
1: minute. At the same time, Professor Sheepdip has created an explosive elixir.
4: What's cooking, boy? Get your fingers out of there, you fool. You want to reward the place? Sorry, it tastes awful. It is worse than it tastes. With this little concoction, we shall get revenge from the Daily Bugle, Mr. Barbante and his friends. <laughs> Come, I shall do you a small demonstration of its deadly power. <laughs> What you doing now, boys? Why are you pouring all that stuff in the bottle? You will see. You will see. I want you to take this bottle and go to the Daily Bugle office. And when you get there, light the fuse and blow up the building. Blow up the building? Gee whiz, boys. Get in there. Get in the clock. Disguised the bottle, and do just what I told you. What about me? We will worry
1: about that later. Now get going. The a grandfather clock. Wolfingham has entered Terry Pike's office <laughs> as he is talking to Sergeant Beagle. Professor Sheepdip's lackey has lethal incendi- incendiary cocktail. All he needs to do is light the fuse. Terry gives a dim-witted henchman a match after asking for the time. Realizing his error, the chief calls Bark Bent for help. Superpup has thrown the papers and the intercom before finally flying away with the grandfather clock. A scared Wolfingham wants to go home. The pup of steel asks where he lives and the lackey is then dropped off at 23 and a half Rock Gulch with an explosive impact on Professor Sheepdip. Disguising his voice as society lady Mrs. Gotrocks, Professor Sheepdip tells Pamela Poodle that she wants to cover a tea party at 23 and a half Rock Gulch. In reality... Uh,
4: any messages, Montmorency? Yeah, Pamela said she was going to cover a tea party at Mrs. Godrock's home at 23 and a half Rock Gulch. That's impossible. I happen to know that Mrs. Gotrocks is spending the season at her villa on the French Riviera. What? This looks like another job for Super Puff. Call Sergeant Beagle and tell him to get out there right away.
1: And Sheepdip and Wolfingham have tied Pamela to a rocket headed straight for the Daily Bugle building. While Montgomery Mouse calls for Sergeant Beagle, Super Puff is flying to the rescue. Professor Sheepdip and Wolfingham are driving away in a different car. The one used in the prison break is new, and they didn't wish to ruin it with a rough ride ahead. Superpup has managed to free Pamela mere seconds before the missile takes off. This causes its target to change. Now, the rocket is following Sheepdip and Wolfingham. The impact from the projectile causes their automobile to go over a cliff in time to be arrested again by Sergeant Beagle. With that, Superpup flies away to his next adventure. Ah,
4: isn't he wonderful? Of course he's wonderful! Everybody knows Superpup is wonderful!
1: i want you to picture in your mind it's 1957 and in the room are whitney ellsworth maybe mort weisinger and whomever they report to with with regards to the adventures of superman television series obviously after season six they don't believe they're coming back and somebody, I would love to be a fly in the wall in this meeting, as somebody, presumably with a straight face, suggested, let's do the Adventures of Superman, but let's do it with dwarfs in dog costumes. I don't know what's worse, the fact that somebody actually thought of this, or the fact that somebody actually approved it. I mean, this wasn't just something that was thrown out in a meeting and forgotten about. Costumes were made, people were cast, and this was actually made it in front of a camera. They say that, I don't know what, 10% of the series that are ever pitched make it in front of the camera, and even less so, get beyond pilot. Imagine this being one of those minuscule things to get in front of a camera other than this. I mean, this filmed, according to IMDb, in 1957, one week after production wrapped on Season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. Were they that sure at that point the show would not return for Season 7? And no, it was two years before it got its approval for Season 7, and unfortunately the death of George Reeves derailed any future plans, but I want you to remember, folks, this was thought of, shot, and produced, and supposed to air while George Reeves was alive. While the possibility of a season seven of The Adventures of Superman was still out there, and I don't just know what to think about that. I mean, find you can find this on YouTube. Watch it; it'll creep you out. From the screechy voice of Pamela Poodle, the hysterics of Montgomery Mouse, and Terry Bite, the Perry White analog spends more time hanging out on the, jumping on the desk and screaming than anything else. It's an exercise in the ridiculous, and not in a way that's funny. I mean. This really was a live action cartoon. Maybe this would have gone down easier if it was animated. I don't know. We're gonna go into this. I think just from my little speech here, you know my thoughts on it. I don't think very highly of this. I don't know of anyone who thinks very highly of this. If you think very highly of this, write me in manofscreen at gmail.com and I'd love to recommend you for I mean, uh, not recommend you for psychiatric treatment, I'd love to hear why you think this is worth watching. I only watched it because I knew I was going to cover it for this podcast. I mean, I'd known about this since 1988 when NBC aired that 50th anniversary Superman special hosted by Dana Carvey. I saw a very little clip of Super Pup flying and the uh, part of the opening sequence where Montgomery Mouse says that both you and I know Super Pup is really Bark bent. I think I forgot to mention beforehand that this was all shot, at least the Daily, the daily Bugle stuff, was shot on the sets of The Adventures of Superman, so bark ben hangs out in clark kent's office the same one used by george reeves and noel neal and phyllis coates terry bites out at the same desk as john hamilton it's almost like these sets were desecrated and i know they weren't but hopefully they were burned to the ground after this so i'm just stalling at this point i really don't want to get into this but you know what maybe we can because let's let's have some fun so the horrid it just it starts off awful with the uh horrid opening sequence. It's meant to be a take on the Adventures of superman opening and it's just terrible he can fly around the world faster than you can say super pup well you know what who's gonna say super pup anyway i'm I'm not so here's the daily bugle obviously years before marvel comics will make it famous as the home for as the workplace of j jonah jameson and peter parker i think it might have been better if had they renamed sergeant beagle to something else and instead called the newspaper the daily beagle that might have made a little more sense to me but this does try to keep some of the gags from The Adventures of Superman, such as Bark Bent accidentally giving his, giving away his identity by taking credit for things Super does, and Pamela Poodle is appropriately suspicious of Bark in true Lois Lane fashion. This part is okay if you can put aside the fact that dwarfs and dog costumes. We now have a sheepdog with, in, with a saw in jail, because obviously criminals in this world are allowed to have sharp tools. And this is Professor Sheepdip. And while uh, the, professor, the good professor is uh, trying to escape from jail with a backsaw, Sergeant Beagle is at his desk cutting paper dolls, which kind of brings me back to Great Caesar's Ghost when cutting paper dolls was a sign that Perry White was losing his mind. So Sheep Dip gets out. There's a big explosion at the jail. And uh, Wolfingham uh, assists uh, Sheep Dip with his escape. Blows a hole in the side of the wall. And off they go. There's a car chase. Sergeant Beagle crashes his car. Sheep Dip changes the sign to say they went that way causing sergeant beagle to crash it's just slapstick is basically all this is sergeant beagle whacks the hell out of his car with with his nightstick because apparently that's going to get the thing going then we move on to professor sheepdip's lab and there are some fun easter eggs here most notably you will see in the background professor Pepplewinkles gold making machine from all that glitters apparently they put it right back together for this and this might even be the same set there's a couple of windows that I don't recall seeing in All That Glitters, but maybe I did. If you remember from All That Glitters, uh, the machine didn't exactly explode to the dynamite. Instead, it just kind of collapsed in pieces. It fell apart very neatly. It was probably because it was made out of cardboard. So, Sheep Dip is working on some kind of uh, explosive substance here with his little chemistry set. Wolfing is the uh, dumb henchman, almost like a Ben Weldon type character, just not very funny. And apparently he's going to... Uh, so. It, They send out a paper airplane, it explodes, and Sheep Dip is going to send Wolfingham to the Daily Bugle to blow it up with a whole jar of the formula. And he's going to walk all the way to the Daily Bugle inside of a grandfather clock. Yes, a grandfather clock just walks on down the street. So, as we often saw in Perry White's office, uh, Inspector Henderson will come in to report into the chief, and this time Sergeant Beagle is uh, telling Terry Bite how incompetent he is. And, a, and as they're talking, nobody notices that a grandfather clock walks in. I mean, I generally don't say anything when I'm sitting at my desk and a grandfather clock walks in. But I will say this before I go any further. Terry Bite is a decent parody of Perry White. He's definitely got the, uh, the high-strung uh, temper tantrums going for him. One of the things that I don't mind, and I did chuckle even a little, I did chuckle a little bit, is that all this weird stuff happens to Terry Bite, and he doesn't even bat an eye. Like I mentioned, the aforementioned grandfather clock. It just walks into his office. And he barely acknowledges it. He barely acknowledges anything that's around him. And Wolfingham, inside of the uh, grandfather clock, forgot to bring his lighter or couldn't get it to work. And he asked Terry Byte to light his fuse for him. He actually came out of the grandfather clock and asked the, I don't want to know if I want to say person, but maybe I'll say dog, that he's going to kill to help him light the fuse. And he does. But I did laugh when Terry realized, Realized his mistake or that he lit the bomb hiding in the grandfather clock that walked into his office. <laughs> Just the look of alarm on the dog head face is uh, priceless. You know, I can see a Silver Age comic story of, uh... Like if Superman were exposed to Red Kryptonite and he turned into a dog. I mean, I don't believe the lion head thing was Red Kryptonite. But it might have been. I don't remember. Calling Bob Fisher. Calling Bob Fisher. But Red Kryptonite definitely could have turned Superman into a dog-like figure. And apparently, uh... We have a color issue here because the first half of this episode was in color and about the halfway point, it goes black and white. From what I heard, that was about all the color they had left. There was another surviving piece of film that had the second half of this and it's not in color or it wasn't good enough to restore the color. So half of this gem is in color and the other half is in black. and So here is our first look at after um, Terry calls for Bark Bent. Apparently, every time he's in trouble, he jumps on his desk and yells, Bark Bent! Bark Bent! <sighs> So here is Superpup wearing a color-designed Superman costume with the oversized dog head. All of the Silver Age silliness in the world isn't nearly as terrible as this. Of course, the one thing this episode needs is more slapstick. Superpup throws a bunch of terabyte stuff out the window before getting the grandfather clock out. And eventually he gets the grandfather clock out and Superpup flies it out from above. Apparently he's holding it underneath him and flying. Okay, more likely he's sitting on the grandfather clock and they're simulating flying. This episode has certainly gone to the dogs. And I can definitely understand how this didn't get picked up. I just don't understand how this got in front of a camera. Not only is the show stupid, but so are the characters. Super Pup just talks to Wolfingham in the clock and doesn't even phase him. And he wants to go home, and Super Pup drops him at home. And I kind of wonder, did he just kill that guy? <laughs> As uh, he dropped the clock and it exploded. But nope, Wolfingham is okay. Remember how much I hated the Brainy Burrow and the Jolly Roger? This... Makes those two episodes look like masterpieces. Super Pup returns to the Daily Planet, to the The De- Bugle office. And for some reason, he he's able to run across Terry Byte's line of sight without the editor noticing. Because, okay, he's not clearly not observant. And as I watched this, one of the things I kept finding was that I was looking at the clock. You know, so it's clear that I just want this to end as this is painful. So uh, here's Pamela getting invited to her, to whatever was supposed to go on at uh, Rock Gulch Road or whatever it was. And obviously, as per trope, this is going to get her into some kind of trouble. So she sh- strolls up to the shack and he gets snapped. Bark bent when he gets back, realizes that Pamela can't possibly be going where she says she's going. Because the person she's going to see, uh, Madame Goldrock or whatever it is, she's on the French Riviera at the moment. I don't know how Bark knows this, but maybe he sniffed her butt. That's how he knows where she was. We're going to see now that Pamela Poodles is strapped to a bar strapped to a bomb, yelling for help, you know, the usual stuff, and she gets super on super pop-on-tizer, and the rocket takes off. And it didn't take me very long to get tired of Montgomery Mouse, and apparently he breaks the fourth wall to fill us in on all the important facts, like why the bad guys switched cars. I really don't care. And then more of an inexplicable plot device, uh, once the, uh, once Pamela Poodle is no longer stuck tied to the rocket ship, the missile, uh, chases the car that the bad guys are in because it does they get hit by the missile and the car falls over a cliff and they go to jail aren't we excited we find out how wonderful super pup is i want to get out of here i don't want to talk about this ever and i'm sure you don't want to listen to me say another word about it. i'm gonna take a quick break i'm gonna play a podcast promo and then i'm gonna come back and, and talk about the unaired adventures of superboy pilot from 1961 hang around
0: Stay. what have
6: you ever read uh, a superman comic
1: Not in
6: the last few hours. I was just checking, right? Just
0: checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding, comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting and 30 years since I started reading Superman full time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All All Comes Comes Back Back to to Superman. Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone, sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of BaileyTube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of BaileyTube podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com.
1: Alright, welcome back, folks. We're going to continue this episode with the 1961 unaired pilot, The Adventures of Superboy.
5: Superboy. It's The Adventures of Superboy. Incredible boy of steel, powerful, fearless, invulnerable, only survivor of the doomed planet Krypton, home of a race of fine and noble humans far advanced over those of our own world. Superboy, whose scientist father sent him hurtling into the far reaches of interstellar space in a tiny craft moments before great Krypton exploded into a billion billion fragments, speeding the spaceship unerringly on its course for planet Earth. Where, landing safely, the infant Superboy was found and adopted by a small-town couple, Jonathan and Martha Kent. And now, some years later, the child is young Clark Kent, a student at Smallville High School, where his meek, retiring manner hides an exciting secret known only to himself and his foster parents. The secret that Clark Kent is, in reality, Superboy, champion of the oppressed enemy of all evildoers, dedicated to the cause of truth and
0: justice.
1: Writers were Vernon E. Clark and Whitney Ellsworth, and director was George Blair. The cast included John Rockwell as Superboy and Clark Kent, Bunny Henning as Lana Lang, Jimmy Bates as Jimmy Drake, Ross Elliott as Mr. Drake, Jimmy's father, Stacy Harris as Gunnar Ferday, Charles Maxwell as Jake Ferday, Richard Reeves as Shifty Barnes, Robert Williams as Police Chief Parker, Yvonne White as Martha Kent, Ray Walker as Mr. Udland, the aero theater owner, and Monty Margets as Miss Gibson, the school teacher, and True Ellison as Donna. And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The students of Smallville High School are discussing their father's careers with teacher Miss Gibson. Young Jimmy Drake only says that his dad is the doorman at the Arrow Theater, the town's local movie house. In spite of Clark Kent and Lana Lang's attempts to convince him otherwise, Jimmy is ashamed of his dad. Even poor Mr. Drake, while drawing for an art course in his spare time, has trouble talking to Jimmy.
5: What is it, Jimmy? What's what, Dad? Something's wrong. Ever since you got home from... Food, you've been sighing and staring into space. What happened? You fail an exam? You know I don't fail exams, Dad. I'm just concentrating. Well, that's just about the most distracted concentration I've ever seen. Now, what happened? What happened, Jim? This is going to sound terrible to you, Dad.
3: We had oral essays in class today about our father's occupations. When my turn came, I... I couldn't find anything to say about you.
5: Well, aside from the costumes he wears, I don't suppose there's much to say about a theater doorman, is there? On the other hand, I make no apologies for being one. You know, Jimmy, we can't all be airplane pilots or great surgeons or builders of dams in far-off places. Background, circumstances, responsibilities. These are factors that put some of us into ordinary jobs for all our lives. So we hope for better things for our sons. And, Jim, between us, we're going to get you through college and into your chosen profession. Now, when that's accomplished, I'll consider myself as successful as anyone you know. And you know what I'm talking about? I think so, Dan. No, you don't. But you will. Hey, Jimmy, come here. Look, look at this. that's not bad for a correspondent school artist is
1: it hey you're coming along pretty good dad (laughs) the lad will most likely have something to talk about soon for gunner and jake faraday who have had plastic surgery to change their faces completely and shifty Barnes are out of the arrow as two hundred thousand dollars in uncut diamonds are on display there for the premiere of a film called rajah's ransom whose star todd dexter grew up in smallville the faraday brothers plan is a simple one shifty is to keep smallville police chief parker and superboy busy While Jake and Gunner steal the diamonds from the Aero Theater.
6: Why don't you go sit down?
1: Shifty, will you relax?
6: This is gonna be perfect. All you gotta do is your part of the job right. Just keep Superboy busy. Just keep Superboy busy. I'm the pigeon in this deal. I'm the one that goes to jail for three months, six months at the most. Now, isn't that worth 50000 bucks? Besides, Jake and me are taking the real chances. Suppose somebody should see us. Suppose they do. Who's gonna know you? That plastic surgeon guy made you look like a couple of movie stars.
1: Yeah, he did do a good job, didn't he? Mother would never know us. You boys stay right here, will you? I'm gonna go check on the movie. The gang of criminals knows the route in which Chief Parker drives. This allows Shifty to be in a shack as he shoots the police car's tires. The resulting gunfight forces Chief Parker to call Superboy for help. The light dims and returns to normal as Clark Kent and Lana Lang do their math homework. This is a signal that Chief Parker was calling for Superboy. Flying through the secret tunnel under the Kent Farm's basement, the Boy of Steel arrives to help Chief Parker confront Shifty. Meanwhile, Jake and Gunner have begun to steal the diamonds. Gas pellets have knocked out the guards and they, as they do so. Mr. Drake has witnessed a crime forcing the bandits to fire their guns at him as they make their getaway. The bullet miss. However, Mr. Drake has become a victim of the same vapors it took out the security men. Shifty's bullets have no effect on Superboy, who crashes through the walls of the shack to bend the crook's rifle barrel and hand them over to Chief Parker. Parker receives word from a radio dispatcher that, that the diamonds were taken from the Aero Theater's display. As Superboy flies to investigate, Shifty must change the tire of Parker's patrol car in which he's shot. The teen of tomorrow learns that the awakened Mr. Drake that the thieves in white suits drove off in a convertible with the license number PBT-595. Gunner and Jake have planned for this eventuality, having changed vehicles during their escape. There was no way for Superboy to know in which direction they went. We now go to the Smallville Police Station. Mr. Drake has been unable to identify the Diamond Thieves through mugshot books in spite of Shifty Barnes's, known in association with Jake and Gunner Faraday. Well,
5: the two men I saw aren't in these books, Chief. You know,
3: Chief, it can't be a coincidence that Shifty was doing all that shooting just at the time the thieves were stealing the Diamonds. There has to be a connection. Of
6: course you're right. Wait a minute, Shifty Barnes, let's look him up here. So fun, so here we are. Known accomplices and partners in most of his crimes are two brothers, Jake and Gunner Ferdin'. You sure those aren't the two men, Fred? Positive. No fingerprints at the scene of the crime, no identification of the criminals, looks like we're stuck. Well, you could draw the two men, couldn't you, Dad? Yeah, I guess I could. Well, I didn't know you were an artist,
3: Fred. Well, I'm not an artist. He is, too. He's good. Give him some paper and a pencil, Chief Parker. <laughs> Excuse me, Fred. There. That was a great idea, Jimmy. But while your dad's working on it, would you do me a favor? Sure, Superboy. What do you want me to do? We'll go down to the furnace room and get me about a dozen pieces of coal. Coal? What for? Remember when I told your dad's boss I'd do something for him? Yeah. Well, I don't want to go back on my word. Get the call, on, huh, Jim. Okay. Say, he's pretty good. He sure is.
6: Our friend with the rifle wouldn't tell you anything when you questioned him, huh? He wouldn't even tell us his name. We had to get his fingerprints to identify him. Would he take a lie detector test? Not a chance. What's more, he knows that we can't make him take one. Chief... How long do you think he'll go to jail for that stunning pool today? Oh, three to six months. Worst we can charge him with is malicious mischief and resisting arrest. Plus, of course, we could tie him in with a jewel robbery.
3: If he is tied in with a jewel robbery, and you can't prove it, three or six months in jail is pretty light for his cut of the diamonds. That's right. I'm convinced those are exactly the odds
6: that he's playing for. But proving it is another matter. Superboy? Be right with you,
3: Chief. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Sure. But what are you going to use it for? Just this. As you know from what you've studied in school, diamonds are nothing more or less than pure carbon, which has been subjected to tremendous heat and pressure. And, of course, coal is carbon. So, I subject this piece of coal to super pressure. And in a moment, I've created synthetic diamonds. Practically as good as the real thing. Good enough, anyway, for your dad's boss and his lobby display. As soon as I made a few more batches.
6: are blind no I just haven't filled it in yet they both had dark hair like this oh oh good good well make it as accurate as you can
3: it's important Mm -hmm. there that ought to do it now take them down to the theater Jim Uh, sure but I wanted to wait and see dad's drawings later Jim these are pretty important to Mr. Edlin you know sure they're excellent drawings Mr. Drake they sure
6: are the point is, do they really look like the two men? I'd stake my life
1: on it. Yeah. This gives Superboy an idea that requires Mr. Drake to be bait in a trap. Every newspaper in the country will have the drawings of Gunner and Jake along with the name of the artist.
5: You know, these drawings don't mean a thing. It's the guy that made them that's important. We get rid of him, we get rid of all our worries. You're right.
6: You know, he's uh, he's pretty good at that. In fact, he's too good for his own good. Where do you say he lives? Over the movie house in Smallville? Let's go back there and pay him
1: a visit. Mr. Drake waits anxiously in the apartment in which he and Jimmy live above the Aero Theater. Clark Kent uses his x-ray vision to stake things out as he is taking a math exam. He notices Jake and Gunner in the area. Having finished the test early, Clark leaves to become Superboy. In the meantime, the Faraday brothers have called Mr. Drake making him believe Jimmy has been taken to the hospital for an injury. This allows the thieves to capture him. Having knocked out Mr. Drake, Gunner and Jake intend to make his death look like a hit-and-run accident. A roadblock prevents the Diamond Thieves from carrying out their diabolical assassination, one called Superboy. The front of their car has seen better days as it's smashed by the Boy of Steel's invulnerable body. Now, Jake and Gunner Ferd will be spending their days in prison after they got out of the hospital, in which they made Mr. Drake believe Jimmy was being treated.
6: Fred, the insurance company is rewarding you with a full scholarship for Jimmy at any college that he wants to attend. That's not all. They're offering you a job in their offices in Metropolis. That may be more money than you're getting now.
5: Well, what do you say, Jim? Should I quit my job and leave Smallville? Whatever you decide, Dad, I'm with you. Well, then tell them no thanks, Chief. I like the people here, and I'd like to go on with my art lessons. Who knows, maybe someday. Superboy, I want to thank you for saving my life. You're welcome, Mr. Drake. Much of luck to you, Jimmy. See you, Chief.
1: The next day, Jimmy is speaking proudly of his father in front of the class at Smallville High School, much to the joy of Clark Kent and Lana Lang.
3: Students we will
4: continue today with our public speaking class. Last time we left off with Jimmy Drake. So today, we will start with him. Jimmy?
3: Is the doorman at the Arrow Theater. But he's the best theater doorman in the United States. And that isn't all he is. He's a brave man, a kind man, a smart
1: man. I must say, this is a lot better than Super Pop. I would have watched this had it come to series. Well, I wouldn't have watched it in the first run as I wouldn't be born for the 19 years, but if I caught it later on in syndication, I definitely would have tuned into it. This was a much better pilot than uh, The Adventures of Super Pop. Let's just say that. And this pilot is an adaptation of the story The Saddest Boy in Smallville, which was published in issue 88 of the Superboy title, cover date April 1961. The story was written by Leo Dorfman and illustrated by George Papp. And the story's... And it's a pretty faithful adaptation. There's not too many... The story is obviously fleshed out a little bit more. I believe it was an eight or so page story in that comic. Obviously, it's filled out to extend to the 30 minutes of uh, runtime for this show. And it starts off with a summary of who Superboy is, and it tells uh, the origin in basically five minutes or less. And the origin footage used is from the George Reeves television series. Again, the uh, same crew that did that series is doing this, so... Definitely, you can't really plagiarize yourself, so they're using their own footage. So, however, where this does diverge from the adventures of Superman, so I guess you really can't call this, uh, the George Reeves Superman adventures when he was a boy. Instead of Eben and Sarah Kent finding Clark in the field, it's Martha and Jonathan, who are still his parents right now. And the show starts off with Clark and Lana in school. They're giving presentations about what their fathers do for a living, uh, teacher calls on jimmy drake who is rather ashamed of his father's job his dad is a doorman at the local movie theater and uh when jimmy gives his presentation uh the class kind of laughs at him you know everybody except for uh clark and lana who are of course concerned lana points out that uh, mr drake has been raising jimmy on his own with no wife i believe we're gonna find out at some point that uh mrs drake died I tried watching this pilot on my 55-inch TV because I kind of wanted to take it in before I took notes on it. But I realized when I was working on Super Pup that perhaps I should have uh, done that because I kind of stopped taking notes for a little bit on Superpup just because I had a dumbfounded look on my face of the <laughs> what I was watching. So the, the poor quality on the YouTube version and the one I downloaded, you know, it kind of made it difficult to enjoy as a viewing experience. You know, because I really had to kind of strain my eyes to see what was going on. I found it better watching it on a smaller screen. Watching it on my computer was a lot better, probably because it wasn't blown up so big. I mean, despite having no redeeming qualities as a show, Super Pup did actually look a little bit better. So that film survived a little bit better than... This and next we learn about what Clark's parents do. They're not farmers. They're going with the Silver Age version of the in which Clark's parents owned the general store. At least if I think it uh, was Silver Age. Maybe it's Bronze Age. I don't know. Maybe it's Silver and Bronze Age. I get my DC Comics ages all mixed up. Especially Silver and Bronze. Bronze Age wasn't really a term I became familiar with until a little more recently. To me, when I was a kid growing up, anything uh, before the crisis I considered the Silver Age. I didn't realize that the Bronze Age was in there, too. Uh, anyway, moving on from that. Lana's father is also a professor, and uh, Lana points out that Jimmy should appreciate his father for what he does and focus on the man his father is. That's a that's a nice, good message for uh, those who uh, want to receive that message. And now we meet our criminals for the episode. If the guy in the backseat of this car looks familiar, he should. That's Richard Reeves, our old friend from the Adventures of Superman. He, uh, would come on once in a while. I think he did about five to seven episodes somewhere in there. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but he was pretty much a henchman all the time. The dumb muscle, but still one of the more recognizable faces from the Adventures of Superman. At least as far as the criminals go, I believe you know John Eldridge, Ben Weldon, and Richard Reeves are probably the three most recognizable guest stars from the adventures of superman i guess if you add leonard moody to that group as kind of an honorable mention but really for me when i think of adventures of superman guest stars it's reeves eldridge and ben Weldon. maybe herb vigran too so here are jimmy and his father and jimmy is still miserable and his dad it's kind of senses it as only a parent can now the uh, synopsis indicated that jimmy had that jimmy's dad mr drake had a Hard time talking to Jimmy about this, but you know what? I didn't get that from watching the episode. I mean, obviously, I didn't write the synopsis, but... I really like this moment where Jimmy, when Jimmy tells his father that you know he didn't have much to say about the job, and his father didn't get angry, he kind of agreed. Yeah, I'm a doorman, what else do you really say? But I really love the moment where he said he makes no apologies for doing what he does. You now, this is something that's hard for a kid to understand, because... I guess on some level, kids measure themselves on the success of their parents and compete with each other kind of on the same battlefield. But when you have a child of your own, there's a lot more important things than chasing the dream job. And he's at peace with the job he has, and if that provides enough to eventually find a way to get Jimmy to college and choose whatever career he wants, then to him, that's a success. And I really love that talk because you don't understand how much you are willing to personally sacrifice can do and how much you're willing to put up with a crappy job because it's better for your children that you do so. You know, when my daughter was born, I realized it was time to stop chasing every extra penny all over New York State. It was time to kind of settle in and only make drastic changes that they were necessary and worth it. So, here are criminals again. Shifty is nervous. His job is to keep Superboy busy and he risks six months in jail and these guys are promising they'll keep their sh- his share nice and safe for him when he gets out. Apparently, the other two guys, uh, these are the Faraday brothers, have uh, had the plastic work done on them, so they don't attract as much attention as they would, uh, ordinarily. Shifty is dropped off at a cabin in the middle of nowhere with a rifle, and it's his job to distract Superboy. What a job. So, as Shifty is in his shack, here comes a car down the dirt road here, and it's a police car, and out comes Chief Parker. He's a character from the Superboy comics of the time, and He quickly engages in a shootout with Shifty after Shifty shoots out his tire. And here's where things get a little interesting. Chief Parker goes to his radio and... Okay, that's fine. I mean, he's calling for police backup, right? Nope. He's calling Superboy. Uh, is the rest of the forest on a donut break? Why isn't he calling them? I mean, I know there probably aren't a ton of Smallville cops, but... You would think to be enough that Superboy wouldn't be the first choice. Maybe this is like uh, Batman, uh, the Adam West series, where uh, you know every time Commissioner Gordon had to go to the bathroom, he turned on the bat signal. Now at the Kent home, the uh, lamp is flickering. This must be the Superboy signal, as Clark suddenly doesn't want to finish helping Lana with her math homework. And uh, here's Martha Kent. This is the only time we really see Martha Kent in this episode. It's her job to uh, distract Lana as she saw the Superboy signal as well and she knows that Clark has to get out of there. And Clark has a secret compartment that he enters through the living room. This is kind of a cool-looking secret compartment. The wall kind of just rotates and Clark enters this little back room that he has. He receives his phone call and is changing. Lana comes back to the living room but Clark is gone and I'm getting the feeling from this scene that Martha runs interference for Clark quite a bit. So here is Johnny Rockwell in his Superboy costume. It looks good, similar to the George Reeves suit. The cape might be a little bit shorter, but the uh, back of the cape hangs down just a little bit, you know, exposing what would be the blue underneath. Now, according to uh, what I read somewhere, I think it was on IMDb, so you take this with a grain of salt, but Johnny Rockwell was actually kind of put out a little bit when he received his Superboy costume, expecting it to be blue and red, and he was quite surprised to find the gray and brown suit, similar to what George Reeves wore in season 2 similar to what George Reeves wore in Seasons 1 and 2 of The Adventures of Superman. So, he uh, exits this little uh, cave here, and he's flying to meet Chief Parker. I noticed immediately that the landing effect is the same as the one used in The Adventures of Superman. And apparently, uh, this is where we learn why Chief Parker didn't radio his own men, and instead called for Superboy. He didn't want anyone to get hurt. Uh, that is their job. Well, not to get hurt. That's not their job, but... Their job is to come when the chief calls for backup and to assist each other and back each other up in whatever way is necessary so that they're all safe. It does no good for the police if the chief is calling Superboy every time his tire gets shot out. The police shouldn't be sheltered from dangerous situations. I mean, what would they do if Superboy wasn't around? I mean, I'm not saying the police should be endangered recklessly, but they should be allowed to do their jobs. Characters like Superman or Superboy in this case should really only be called upon because whatever the threat is, it's too much for the normal police. Maybe that's putting too much of a modern spin on a Silver Age story. Either way, it doesn't matter. Parker called Superboy, not his police. After all, this is a Superboy show and not a Smallville Police show. You know, I like Johnny Rockwell's Superboy. He looks the part. He He's tough when he needs to be. I really didn't get a very good read on his Clark Kent because I really only saw Clark Kent a couple of scenes, but he did a good job with that. So, as this confrontation between Superboy and Shifty is going down at the shack, the Ferdy brothers are entering the theater. They throw in some gas and go down go the guards and away go the jewels. Back at the shack, I like how Superboy projects his voice and the echo effect almost sounds as though he's giving some extra projection and uh, using the super voice. So, Superboy goes in, uh, busts through a wall just as well as George Reeves does. One of the real good things about the Adventures of Superman was watching George Reeves bust through walls and Johnny Rockwell in this one scene does not disappoint. During the filming of this scene, I kind of wonder what Richard Reeves is thinking as he is apprehending by another actor in that same costume. I wonder if he told uh, Johnny Rockwell any stories of working with uh, George Reeves. You know, maybe he did during some downtime. If there wasn't any downtime, I guess these guys didn't sit around and uh, shoot the ball that much i'm sure it was all business on this set trying to get out as much as they could in as little time as possible i'm sure this episode was filmed in much the same way as the adventures of super so now after Superboy finds out about the theater being robbed he flies off and as he leaves there's this weird shot of a chipmunk looking up at him because i guess that needed to be thrown in now apparently uh chief parker is going to make shifty change of tire i guess fair is fair i guess he shot it out he should have to fix it and as we see a flying shot of Superboy, he flies much in the way uh as George Reeves did, arms out, palms down. He didn't ball his he ball his fist like Chris Reeve would when he flew, but he flies in George Reeves style with his hands out. And he is clearly flying in, some, in front of some kind of rear projection. Now, Johnny Rockwell doesn't jump off the springboard the same way George Reeves did. He just kind of throws himself off camera, and presumably landing on a mattress off, off camera. The criminals get away, so Mr. Drake is going to check out some mugshots. shots. We already know as viewers that's going to be pointless because, as Shifty said earlier, they have new faces. Meanwhile, the owner of the Diamonds only cares about his premiere and getting his diamonds back. I guess he missed the part where checking the mug books is supposed to help with that. Jimmy follows them to the police station. Then we go to the police station where Superboy shows how intelligent he is. Shifty figures out that Shifty was a distraction. And when Jimmy's dad fails to ID the men in the mug books... Jimmy drops that his father can draw and that Jimmy's dad can draw the two men. And now we get to the educational portion of our show, as Superboy teaches us how diamonds are made, by compressing coal. You know, diamonds are made from coal, which is under intense pressure for millions of years, or in comic book terminology, a few seconds under the fist of Superboy, or Superman, for that matter. And I must say, it's a good thing this is 1961, and the uh, police have a lot of extra coal lying around in their furnace room. And it's a good thing that Jimmy was just able to march into the uh, police department's furnace room to get it, so... The chemistry between Superboy and Chief Parker reminds me of the relationship between Clark and Bill Henderson. Although here, it's mostly Superboy, we don't see any of Clark Kentalk talk to Chief Parker. But... You know, like Clark Kent and the George Reeves version did. Superboy has a plan. The first plan is to tell us how a lie detector works. Again, back to education. It mentions the pulse of people when they lie. When it lies, they speed up. But there's a problem here. Shifty doesn't say a thing. How can he lie if he doesn't speak? I mean, maybe the pulse was speeding up was enough to get when he mentioned the, the showed him the drawings. Maybe that was enough to give Superboy. But you know, the logic here is a little flimsy, if you ask me. So, now Superboy is going to move on to his next great idea. And his next great idea is going to uh, use Jimmy's dad as bait for a trap. Although he didn't realize exactly what was going to happen until after he agreed to it. You know, next time you agree to let a superhero use you as bait, you should ask if there's a chance that you're going to lose your life doing this. I think it's a fair question. You know, the life insurance people want to know. So, the sketches are now in the paper. Apparently, they're sent to all the papers all across the country. I'm sure the paper in Smallville, the local rag, was enough. I'm pretty sure the um, Daily Planet didn't need these pictures, and neither did a paper in San Francisco. Like I said, Smallville and the surrounding areas would have been fine. So the bad guys are on the same page. They need to get rid of the artist, and it doesn't even occur to these guys that it can be a trap. Maybe it should have. So the x-ray vision effect here isn't bad. The brick wall just disappears, as Clark looks. And apparently they're in class taking some kind of math test. And Clark finished up the test quickly and leaves. Because, you know, it's, it's time to become Superboy. As this is happening, Jimmy's dad is lured out of his apartment and is taken away in a car. And Superboy is a little late in showing up. So they drive uh, Mr. Drake out to the middle of nowhere and they kind of lay him down in the street. So they're going to make him look like an accident. So they're going to lay him down in the street and run him over. Subtle. I guess just shooting him and leaving the body in the woods isn't uh, sufficient anymore. But as this is happening, we get this interlaced with shots of Superboy flying. Uh, to this scene, there's this one scene of Superboy flying toward the camera that I really like. You see his face, and you see what is probably a rear projection behind him, but it really looks good with him flying toward the camera. wish George Reeves had flown toward the camera a little bit more. He did it quite a bit in the first season before the wires went haywire. I wonder what they were doing to hold Johnny Rockwell up, if they were using the same method as they used with George Reeves, or if they went back to wires. And I... Then Superboy shows up in front of Mr. Drake, and I really like how this is edited. You see Superboy standing in the middle of the street. The car is speeding toward him. Get a quick flash, the screen goes white for a split second. Next thing you know, Superboy is standing there in front of the car's smashed front end. You never saw that in the Avengers of Superman. And these guys are knocked cold. And I love Superboy's comment here. When Mr. Drake tells Superboy that he was lured out by a phone call saying that Jimmy was taken to the hospital. And Superboy says something to the effect of, yeah, well, that's where these guys are going now. So, the crooks are captured. Everybody's safe. Everybody's happy. Now back at Chief Parker's office... Everyone is rewarded. Jimmy gets a full scholarship to any college he chooses. And Mr. Drake is even offered a job at Metropolis. But again, he sacrifices his for Jimmy. Keeping his son in Smallville and turning down the big payday. Although, by helping foil the diamond theft, he got Jimmy that full scholarship. So, by him, he's successful. And this is bookended by Jimmy Drake suddenly being proud of his father. Like I said, this was a great pilot. I would have watched this had it gone to series. And it's a shame that it didn't this show probably had quite a bit to offer and it would have been kids would have enjoyed this. And maybe it eventually would have even gotten color too after getting its legs on dirt and black. So, that was a real quality pilot. Super Pump was not. Next time, the show will return on Tuesday, September 5th. And I will begin my coverage of The New Adventures of Superman by Filmation. But until then, if you want to send me feedback, you can do so by emailing me at manofscreen@gmail.com. At you can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. You can put the man of screen podcast into your search feed and the show sh- should still come up and please uh leave me a review on itunes that'll help people find the show so uh, until we meet again folks have a good one take care enjoy the rest of your summer the man of screen podcast is produced by Mike dreamo all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright to their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks that are little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on iTunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the Man of Screen podcast